This is Cultivate a Good Life, episode 67, Life-Changing Parenting Framework with Roger K. Allen. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Becky Higgins, and with me is, shoot. Who am I? I thought it was so smooth. It's okay. With me is my friend, my co-host, and my minky couture blanket snuggling friend. True true story. Becky Proudfit. Hey there. That's a good idea right now is to explain what's happening. Okay. May so, I? Go, okay, fine. Go ahead. Becky has this habit when we're recording that she touches the microphone. So the microphone base. I touch the microphone base. The microphone base. base. And I find as we're discussing this, we're really dissecting, um, I touch it a lot more when we're about to do an episode that's like really digging deep vulnerability like gut work not when we're about to while we are while we before <laughs> during and after that's really is correct. what it is at all the time she's touching the microphone and i've noticed obviously we've talked about this a lot cuz i'm like why is she touching the microphone and then what did you just realize well cuz she's like don't touch the microphone and i was think i was trying to put my hand somewhere where like okay i won't touch it and i cuz i she's right i totally do it and it's like subconscious and i'm thinking why am i touching the microphone so i decided to try to sit on my hands and that felt so yucky that I'm like, Beck, I think I'm using the microphone, like cradling the microphone, like an infant child. It's like a security blanket issue. So we decided that Becky needed to bring me an actual security blanket and I have literally wrapped it around the base of the mic and I could not be happier. Yeah. She's really happy because it is from Minky Couture, first of all, but secondly, because, um, the, there's enough metal around the base of the microphone that now I'm happy because I really do think that we won't pick up on those little sounds. You guys, I have issues. We know this with the sound. Like it, it just, I just want it to well, be. Well, clearly I have issues. I'm cradling my <laughs> microphone to, to, to overcompensate for my discomfort in the vulnerable episode. <laughs> well, this one isn't that vulnerable. This one's so exciting because we have with us Roger K. Allen, who, um, Becky, you have been to many of his presentations or classes yes. at BYU Education Week for years. Mm-hmm. I was just introduced to him this past summer. He is brilliant. He is one of the few people that I actually went up to afterwards to shake his hand and say, that was incredible. Thank you so much. And also, what's your email address? Because I'm going to reach out to you Because you basically changed my life. And when we're picking guests, I mean, here's the real truth of it. When I went to Roger K. Allen's series of classes, it was over four days, um, they really gave me tools that have permanently affected my motherhood. They've completely affected how I parent my kids and and my happiness and comfort within that role, I feel much more empowered as a mother as I go and I learn these things. The reason why we share it with you, like truly when we're picking our guests, this is not a growth strategy. This is not like, oh, whatever, he's cool and it's entertaining and it'll be good content. Really, when Becky and I see someone who has brought light and truth and goodness into our lives, it would be selfish of us not to make that available to you. And so our role with these guests truly is to make these amazing talented, gifted people available to you because not everyone has the opportunity to attend the classes that we attend. Good way to put it. Thank you. And Roger's one of them. Roger's amazing. And we just love him. We just love him. And we're so excited to share this recorded conversation with you. And we're so excited, especially for the personal insights that we know each of you will feel as you listen to this episode. So um, before we get there, let me just share an iTunes review that I love so very much. I love all of them. Oh, I can't I love wait them to hear so it. Much. This one is from CBSC16, and she says, can't get enough. I started listening to this podcast a few months ago, and as a result, my friends and family have not heard me stop talking about Becky and Becky since then. Aww. I am always quoting these two and the guests they bring in and sharing episodes with friends when they ask for advice. I am obsessed with the quality content, the upbeat positivity, and the casual feeling of sitting in in with these two masterminds of storytelling and pep talking, if that's even a word. <sighs> Becky's dying a little bit. I just got a chill when it said masterminds of storytelling. That is maybe the nicest compliment I've ever given. She continues, my soul feels rejuvenated each time I listen to their words. I walk away a better person each week, determined to be my best self after spending time with these incredible women. So worth the episode length. You will be wishing for more. 
I don't. I'm speechless. We're mastermind storytellers, Beck. No, I'm truly speechless. Like That's that was really so, kind. That was really amazing. That speaks to both of our souls. Thank you. CBSC 16. You guys, these reviews mean so much. I cannot tell you. And, and you guys are so wonderful sending not just reviews and giving us five stars, but also like these thoughtful things that you place in the, the emails and the reviews. I, I really, I can't thank you enough. Just thank you. Thank you for filling my heart. Yeah. It means a lot to us. It means so, so much. What also means so much to us are incredible sponsors. And so that was a really natural way to sign up. <laughs> Good job, Beck. Well, what's funny is this week's sponsor is actually us. So without further ado, a word about this week's sponsor. If you're a regular listener, you've heard us talk quite a bit about the BH Classroom and specifically the Photo Tips and Workflow course. As one final mention before the end of 2019 and before the end of this holiday season we've talked about, we want to remind you that we have a seat in the course with your name on it. And this is the last time to save 20% on that seat. We also want to remind you that a seat in the photo tips course is an excellent and totally thoughtful gift idea for someone you know that would love to take better pictures and get inspired about their photo workflow. We invite you to join thousands of people who have gone through this online course that has personally been a game changer in both of our picture taking. Go to classroom.beckyhiggins.com where you can see the full curriculum, watch the video that gives you glimpses of the class, learn more about what to expect, and of course, buy a seat in the course. Back to the gift idea. If you're interested in gifting a seat to someone, simply email classroom at beckyhiggins.com and we'll help you make that arrangement. Trust me, you will be a gifting hero with this gesture. Don't forget that during this holiday season, we are offering you 20% off with the code Becky20 at checkout. Okay, so I have a question for you here. Do you ever feel like with parenting, you're kind of making it up as you go? Uh Every day. Yeah. And also I can talk myself in and out of like, I need to be more strict. Like I need to really buckle down and be more strict. And then two minutes later, I'm like, I probably need to exercise a little more grace and Mm -hmm. love and patience with my children. Sounds like the inside of my head every single day. (laughs) Sounds like the past 17 years of my life. Basically. When I meet someone who gives me clarity in parenting, there is no gem that is greater to me because I absolutely love love learning from people who know more about it than I do. And totally. when I found Roger Allen, I took a series of classes that he was teaching two years ago. And then this year, Beck, Mm -hmm. you were able to attend uh, that same class. Mm -hmm. And we both knew instantly he had to be on the podcast. Absolutely. The context was um, BYU Education Week. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I chose based on recommendations from you by speakers that you had learn to trust and love and also topics. Mm-hmm. And I just, I went with an open heart of what I felt guided to just, you know, sit in and listen on. And, and Roger made such an impact on me and made, left such an impression that, yeah, there was no question that you were supposed to come on the podcast. So welcome, Roger. Well, thank you. It's we're nice s- to be here. We're glad to have you. Will you take a minute and introduce yourself to our listeners who might not be familiar with your life's work? Okay. My name is Roger Allen. Um, I would say I have a dual background in both psychology and organizational behavior. And for the first 10 years of my career, which was spent in Denver, by the way, Denver, Colorado, um, I was a psychologist and we had a clinic by the name of the Human Development Institute in which we offered counseling, psychotherapy to a diverse client population and also offered classes in personal growth and development, uh, deep, transformative kind of work. That's cool. I want to go there. I know. (laughs) Yeah, we did that for a number of years and did it regularly in Denver and in several other cities around the country. And that was actually the favorite work, I would say, Mm, that I did during that time. And be, But because of my dual background, because of the background that I also had in organizational behavior, I transitioned into consulting after about 10 years. And what kind of consulting? What did that uh, look like Management for you? consulting, okay. leadership development. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, the, it, it's a little bit, it was amazing. The, the day I decided or the week that I made that decision, I remember being off in a park doing some journaling. And I made a decision. I'm no longer thinking about this, but 
I am ready to make this transition. And that very week, I got a call mm. from uh, president Funny of Funny how that happens, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> yeah, CEO of a company, an electronics company up in the state of Washington who said, hey, Roger, I'm looking for somebody who can join me in HR. And hmm. I had not thought of myself as an HR person. But about, you know, 10 minutes into the conversation, I said, oh, well, as a matter of fact, I've been thinking about making a transition. Maybe I would be available. And he said, well, finally. You know, <laughs> wow. I, I was hoping that you would say that. And it wasn't many months. It was four or five months. And I was on my way uh, to this city uh, to join this company. And I became part of a senior executive team as vice president of human resources. Again, even though I had no experience in human resources, hmm. it was the perfect transition that I needed into consulting. I love so that. yeah, so I was there for a couple of years and then left, met my business partner. Uh, we formed an organization called the Center for Organizational Design back in 1992. And we began uh, we organized what we do around high-performance organizations, which we defined as organizations in which each person is a contributing partner to the business. Uh, so the question was how to, how to create more collaborative work climates, climates that made better use of human resources. And so we did a lot of training and product. Well, we did a lot of product development, did a lot of training, a lot of company, uh, um, consulting with large companies, creating transformational change. And and then about 10 years into it, we had a group come to us and say, hey, we love your curriculum. How about if we bring consultants together and you can train those consultants and to take your products out into the world? And so really, we did that for another 10 years or so and trained about 1,200 consultants around the world to use the products that we had created. Mm. But those products, and, and probably my favorite part, I would say, of the... Uh, of the consulting is executive team development, working with executive teams to help them work more effectively together to overcome the conflict, mm -hmm. uh, the, the uh, different interests that they had and really come together. Yeah. Personalities, yeah. that's right, really come together as a common team, as a, mm -hmm. as a cohesive team. I should say, to provide direction to the organization. So anyway, that's probably that's so a, little more, no, yeah, a little more detail. I didn't even know all that, and I, I love you're totally speaking our language because really you're saying it really started the day you were writing it down and decided yeah. that you were ready, right? Yeah. You decided you were ready to move on to something else, and when you did that, when you put that out there and, and wrote that thought down, it became cemented, and then the doors yeah. of opportunity opened. Totally. Exactly. Once I was clear, in fact, there's a quote that I love, until one is committed – there is always hesitancy, the chance to draw back, always ineffectiveness. Mm. Uh, but the moment one definitely commits oneself, then providence moves to, and all sorts of things occur that would never otherwise have occurred, raising in one's favor all manner of unforeseen material assistance. And to me, that Whoa. experience... Stitch was... that on a pillow immediately. <laughs> that yeah. is so That's profound. amazing. Yeah, that I was love that quote. so good. Yeah. And I also want to acknowledge that the, you know, the outline of your career and the steps that you went through is literally the definition of an evolving life. Mm -hmm. Your career evolved and you, you took what your past experience was and you let it right. pull into your mm -hmm. next step, which went into the next step. And you had an open heart to, to see what that experience could lead to. And then you go from that organizational amazingness that sounds like a career I wish I had because, man, those analytics would just be the hey, you like the your joy career. of my life. I love my career. <laughs> but and then and then fast forward however many years I'm sitting listening to a lecture about parenting. And so I have a burning question I'm thinking yeah. of is when you talk about organizational leadership and then you talk about the structure within a home, within a family, like are there – like how did you get from one to the next? Are, you, are there a bunch of parallels that the same things apply? Yeah, there are parallels. The, the models that we use with companies are a little bit more complex. But within a family, I, th I think about – imagine three overlapping circles and one is charter or purpose. You know, I think what is important to have a really happy, well-functioning home and family, it's good to have a clear sense of our purpose. And by purpose, I'm talking about having a mission statement as mm. a family. I'm talking about having clear values as a family. I'm talking about having uh, goals 
understanding what our shared goals are. Shared goals, as I love that. Of a family. And that's mm-hmm. the charter piece. Mm-hmm. That's the top circle, if okay. you can imagine that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then a second circle that over intersects, it overlaps, is that of how we design our family or how we organize our family. How do we organize ourselves in order to live consistently aligned to that purpose that Mm -hmm. I'm talking about. And that has to do with how we define roles and responsibilities, how we define um, chores. Yeah, time management. Yeah, time management, all of the procedural kinds of logistical kinds of Mm. things, the routines that we have, the traditions that we have, all of that is organization of the family, which supports us really in accomplishing our charter, in Mm. our mission. And then the third circle is... I think of it as culture or relationships. Mm-hmm. How do we get along? How do we communicate? How do we handle conflict? How do we, how do we talk to each other? How do we make decisions? What does it feel like to be part of our family? What's mm-hmm. the cohesion that exists and the level of trust that exists and the openness of communication? And so when I think about organizations and families, I often think about those three elements. So we've got We've got charter, we've got design, Mm -hmm. and we've got culture. When we think about, when you talk about those three circles, when you get down to the culture one, I think that is a circle. We're very good. We have a family mission statement. Mm -hmm. Procedurally, I think we're actually pretty strong. But then it's that third one that seems it's a little bit harder to pin down is that culture of the relationships of what it feels like to be in the family. And, And creating that culture has been something I've been thinking about so much. Our oldest is 15 and it feels like there's just a lot of really strong personalities in our family right now. I know it's shocking. I don't yeah, know where they get it from. Totally, totally. It's him. But, um, that has been something that has really just been top of mind for me because I feel like that culture piece is kind of what, you know, once, once they're 18, the procedure's gone. Like I have no more mm-hmm. procedure. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and even the mission statement to a certain degree, yeah. but the culture is yeah, really that point. piece that carries you over that remain, you know, keeps that family cohesive, cohesiveness moving forward into adulthood. And so it's so heavy on my heart of how to make that culture such that, that bonds are created and how to know if you actually have that bond in the midst of like quarrel and fighting and, and all the different things. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. Because it is culture that we carry on, that we take with us, you know, mm-hmm. not the procedures, not the rules. When we come together to form new families, those are going to change. Those are going to be different. Those are more instrumental. But I think those deeper values that we learn from in our culture are yeah. what are really important. And I like to think of three aspects of in family culture. I like to talk about creating uh, safe and trusting conditions, empathy, a culture based on empathy, a culture based on honesty, and a culture based on responsibility. That those three core concepts are what I think are critical in parenting, but I also think are very important in um, creating the kind of relationships that we want within family life and so what yeah what what does that look like in terms of somebody who who's listening and thinking I really like how that feels to me right now I want to be better at that but how do I begin what does that look like how do I approach that with my family? Do we have a family meeting to kick off this dialogue? I feel bad. What does I don't that even mean? What is empathy in a family? What is yeah. what does that mean? What does that look like? And I don't. I and those are really good questions. And I I I, I don't think you have a family meeting. Mm-hmm. If you have a meeting, you have a meeting between you know parents, mm. between the adults in the family. This isn't something that we're announcing to the children. Mm-hmm. This is a way of becoming as parents. And I think it begins. I think the most important skill that we can develop if we want to create a nurturing home is the skill of empathy. And particularly, there are a number of empathy skills, but the skill that I would consider to be the most important is that of listening. Parents need to learn to listen to one another, and they need to learn to listen to be a safe place for their children. Isn't that interesting when you said listening? I'm just going to say it because I know someone else was thinking it. 
the first thing I was thinking of is the kids need to listen to the parents. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. We get so stuck in that, the kids needing to listen. And as my kids have gotten older, I've realized exactly what you're saying. It is so much more important that my kids feel like I'm listening to them, that they're feeling heard and that they're feeling understood. Yep. There's a, a story that you shared in the in the um, presentation that I attended, and it has it has truly impacted. Oh, I know what you're gonna say. My yeah, mm-hmm. I I know you know, <laughs> and I know Roger knows. <laughs> yeah, but the way you you illustrated a story told in two different ways really ties into this empathy and this listening, right? Yeah. And I would I would love for you to share. Oh, you know what I story wish, we're talking I wish, about. Well, I have a number of them that I, yeah. you know, case studies that I've written. And... Ours involves a sandbox. Oh, mine oh. Oh, never involved mind. the girl who wanted to quit soccer. soccer. Oh, then yeah. go with the soccer one. Well, I will go with it. I wish I... I, I wish you had it in writing. I, the way he articulates it in writing and then reads it, mm-hmm. you feel like you're having a bedtime story read to you and in the most cool adult sort of way in terms mm-hmm. of like the logic behind all of this. But you know the story well, can, so I, you can I, summarize. I can Paraphrase, the story. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so a girl, a young girl, a 17-year-old girl, let's say, 16, 17-year-old girl comes to her mother one day and she says, Mom, I want to drop out of soccer. And her mother says, what do you mean you want to quit soccer? You're so good at it. And the daughter says, I've been doing it for 10 years now. I'm getting tired of it. That's all. And mom says, well, you can't just quit. I mean, you're one of the best girls on your team. You've got to keep this up. And besides that, you know, I mean, think about how excited you got when you were watching the, the World Cup this summer. And daughter says, well, I know I got excited. And, and there's something about soccer that I really love but I don't know it's just it's just getting old mom and mom goes on how are you going to ever go to college you know this is your ride to college the daughter says mom there are other ways for me to get to college and they go on this kind of contentious conversation for a number of minutes with daughter saying I don't want to play soccer and mom trying to convince her of all of the reasons she needs to continue playing soccer and finally the daughter says okay all right I understand your point of view and she retreats kind of sullen feeling bad mom hasn't really listened and hasn't heard her You think about mom's intent. Her mom's intent was good, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, she loves her daughter. She cares about her daughter. She wants her daughter to make good decisions. But the way she's interacting with her daughter is, is it helping? Is it opening, causing her daughter to open up? Or is it causing her to close down? Which is interesting because listening to that experience kind of just at first glance, you might not think that that is a less than perfect dialogue because you can see a lot of pieces in there that like, well, that's so great that she wouldn't allow her to quit because she knows she'd regret that decision. And Mm -hmm. sometimes the wisdom of a mother kind of overrules the thoughts of a child. But what you're saying is, is that really making sure that that dialogue includes and honors the thoughts and feelings of the children really is so important. Mm -hmm. It is important because the truth is we don't know what the real issue is. That's right. You know? And so that leads into... Yeah, so so the other version of the story is that, and again, I really wish I had it in front of me. But the other version, very good storyteller. Oh well, so it's as if you were reading it. I promise you, I'm like enthralled. I just want to sit at Roger's feet and listen to all of his stories. Well, (laughs) thank you. Uh, So the other version of the story is: daughter comes to mom and she says, "Mom, I'm thinking about quitting soccer." And mom says, "Huh? What do you mean you're thinking about quitting soccer?" And daughter says, "Well, I've been at it a long time." And I'm getting bored. And, you know, maybe there's some other things that I'd like to try doing. And mom says, so it sounds like you've really been thinking about this for a while. And daughter says, yeah, I have. And mom just listens. Mom is a safe place. And as mom makes herself safe, daughter continues to open up. And as she opens up, she says something like, oh, you know, there's this new girl on our soccer team. Just came from another school. And she's kind of, I don't know, she's kind of loud and obnoxious, and I just don't enjoy being around her. And so mom says, okay, yeah, so it hasn't been a very pleasant experience with this new girl. 
Now, daughter is testing mom to see how safe she is. You know, can I trust mom? Can I continue to open up to mom? Mom's being safe. Mom's really doing her best to listen. So daughter says something like, you know, she's inviting all these other girls to parties. And I'm, I'm just not the party type, and so it's really changing the culture on the team, and I'm not sure how well I like that. And mom kind of reflects that back. So, yeah, things are really changing. It's not just soccer, I'm hearing you say, daughter, but it's, it's that you really don't like how things are changing among your teammates. Yeah. And, you know, mom, what happened uh, is they're, they're going out and they're partying. I've never known these girls to party before, but they're going out and they're partying. Mom says, huh. And that sounds like it's kind of bothering you. She says, yeah, it is. And she says, and you know, last weekend when they invited me or I told you I was going to see so-and-so and her brother because her brother was having a birthday, she says, well, I did. I went and went to a little birthday party. But after we had a, you know, we went out. I went out with this group of girls. And, you know, Mom, I was really surprised to see that they had brought some, you know, a lot of alcohol and drugs and marijuana. And and Mom says, it kind of shocked you, kind of surprised you. You didn't expect that. Yeah. And they were pushing it on me. She said, you know, Mom, I have to be really honest with you. I tried it. I tried some pot. And Mom said, oh, how did that feel? She said, well, I don't know. It was kind of weird. I didn't know what to think about it, but I came away feeling really bad. Not sure that that's what I want to do, but I don't know. I feel a little bit lost. You know, these are my girlfriends, and now they're doing some things that I don't really agree with, and, I, and I've done some things that I'm not feeling real good about. And so, you know, the conversation goes on, but they would never have been able to get to that place if mom hadn't been safe. Mm. And what happens as parents is we shut down conversations like that because we're afraid of what our kids will say. You know, so we give them quick fixes. We, we, clo- we, we, we uh, react. When we start to hear something that sounds sensitive or when we start to hear something that sounds threatening in any way, we close off the conversation. And so our kids feel alienated from us. And, you know, a statistic that I've read today is that 70 percent of teenagers want to be able to share more openly with their parents and they want more support from their parents. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't feel safe for them to ask for that support. Mm -hmm. And it's so interesting because I wonder what the, sti- the statistic would be on parents who feel like they want to support their child better, right? I don't feel like it's a negligent. Good point. I right. feel like no. parents want to do their best. Like, totally I mean, matched. being a mom of teens, it is. Right. It, it is. totally is matched. And, and maybe we as parents don't have the tools to know how to support in ways that are actually supportive because I'm going to be totally honest – my 15 year old, we we have a great relationship and he knows he can come and talk. And, and there's been a few times where he's been like, I don't know if I can talk to you about this mom. And he knows, you know, I've said the words, you can talk to me about anything. He knows from experience, I'm not going to judge him. I'm mm-hmm. not going to, he knows that, but, but still there must be things I'm doing because there are still those situations where he's like, I can't talk to you about this. But you know what, it, it, Becky, the fact that he can say, I can't talk to you about this is good. Oh, I good. agree. <laughs> I agree. Yeah, yeah he's yeah. able to articulate that. Yeah. He's able to articulate it, and he's testing you. You know, he's, he's asking you to invite him. I mean, oh, he's not sure. He's ambivalent. He's not sure yet. So, so what, he's essentially the, saying with that is, I have something to tell you that I'm not sure if it's safe to tell you, right. and now I'm inviting you to tell me. Yeah, that make I, it safe. Yeah. So interesting. If I, if I were in Becky's shoes, when those actual words were spoken, uh, I'm not ready to tell you something. Would do you feel like the most healthy response for for Becky would be, you just let me know when you're ready. You know I'm here. Yeah, 
Mm-hmm. Is that the yeah. way that it should be handled instead of like, well, what do you mean? Well, tell me now. Yes, I want to exactly. hear. You can't I'm not going to lie. Sometimes like that. that reaction, yeah. Yeah. that feels like the reaction that you were saying, being that reactionary parent, that reaction is what comes to front of mind where I want to be like, well, now you have something to tell me and we're going to sit in my room and you're not going to leave here <laughs> until it's out of Take your mouth and I've hugged you and loved your little brains out. <laughs> That's what's going to happen here. That's what me as a mother, that almost feels like my natural response. Yeah, is, of is, course. You know, is to prove to him, I guess, that like, no, it is safe. You can tell right. me anything. Yeah. You know? Which doesn't respect his freedom, his oh, agency, his... There it is again, agency. Yeah. Oh, I love it so much. But dang, it's hard in parenting. Mm-hmm. It is. It is. I and mean, so, we, be, we believe the concept. Yes. We think that our, we recognize our children as responsible for themselves, mm-hmm. but we so often want to intervene in Solve. their lives in ways, yeah, yes. fix fix problems fix for them. Solve. I mean, we have a tendency to do one of two things, err in one of two ways. One is we over-control through lecturing, through moralizing, and that's what we do a lot. Wait, you know, moralizing? Le- moralizing, preaching. Ooh, I just have never heard that term. I'm like, oh, snap, I do that a lot. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I do. I moralize you, Becky. <laughs> I moralize you as well. Right. But we're adults, so we can handle it. <laughs> but but that's what you. that's what you're meaning by that right, right. is we're, we're, try- yeah. we're trying to teach principles and we do it m- like really with good intention and we don't mean to be right. luxury right. in fact we like oh, to think of ourselves as not luxury I'm having a like serious no, like, I know we're both struggling of, here yeah. <laughs> no because my kids have said to me before like you know obviously Becky and I speak about all these things all over the place and podcast and all these things and literally several of several all except Caroline because she's seven have said to me before like no, this isn't, I don't want you to teach me something. I don't want to tell you because you're going to try to teach me something. Yeah. Yeah. Or my kids will say, you don't have to turn everything into like a life lesson, mom. Yeah. Right? Oh, Becky. But I like turning things into life lessons so yeah. much. I went on a hike today. I could tell you a whole life lesson from the hike today. True or false? <laughs> Dang it. Uh, right? Like, so. The, all of the analogies of nature. Yes. So going back to where mm-hmm. you left off. Yeah. You were saying that. One of two things. One is we moralize. We over-control. Over-control, okay. We over-control by lecturing, by moralizing, sometimes by yelling, by being angry, by criticizing, by belittling. It, we come on strong. Mm-hmm. You know, my way or the highway. Well, that's kind of an extreme way of doing it. Even but if it's, it's well-intentioned. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? Even if it's well-intentioned, we're imposing control from without rather than developing responsibility from within. I like to think of children as a plant. And by that, I mean, if you think about a plant, if you think about a flower, have you ever tried to make a flower blossom? Yes. <laughs> have you? No, this plant and, and analogy. What, and what happens? <laughs> I overwater it, and then it turns yellow, the roots get mushy, and it dies. You force the sun. No, I'm serious. And, you know, I have a friend who talks about that. The parenting analogy is they're like kids. Kids are like plants where you need to give them just yeah. enough water for them to dig deep roots. Because if you keep it, if you give them everything and, and all this this wisdom and whatever, they have shallow roots. Or you overwater, or yeah. you oversun, and then you get mushy piles of garbage (laughs) well is that so i've never heard the analogy is that i know is that where you were going with that is part of what i mean by the analogy is that the growth of a plant is an internal process Mm. it's got to happen from within it has to happen from within i can't grow for that plant what i can do and what we can do as parents is create the conditions you know the right soil conditions, the little bit of fertilizer, <laughs> some rain, some sunshine, Becky's whatever. motioning for a journal. Like, She's like, I notebook? have to write where's this down. Where's my notebook? Okay, I'm just going to lock this in my head, mm-hmm. is to create the conditions. Create the environment right. for growth. Yeah. You but can't the growth, force the growth. The growth comes from within. And as parents, we have to learn to trust that. And we have to learn to trust that what is deepest inside of them, you know, that they want to grow. That they want to learn, that they want to. So, what would you say succeed? to like a mother who maybe perhaps is having <laughs> some realizations, right <laughs> like right this minute? Like, in- <laughs> how how do you know, or how do you trust that your kids have that inside of them that they want to grow? You know, as parents, we either come from fear-based assumptions about our kids or we come from trust-based assumptions about our kids. True. And I'm just going to say it works a lot better to come from trust-based assumptions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That when our basic come from 
our basic attitude and the assumptions that we make as parents are positive, we make it a lot more likely that our kids are going to succeed, even when they're struggling. You know, even, Mm. um, you know, if I approach a struggling child and I'm making fear-based assumptions, I'm going to try to take over. I'm going to try to fix them. I'm going to try to do things for them. If I'm making trust-based assumptions, I'm going to believe in them, that they are like this plant that will grow and will blossom, frankly, in their own way. In spite of us sometimes mm-hmm. as parents. That's I, for darn sure. I can't do it for them. They're going to grow. They're going to grow in, in uh, their own way. Now, that doesn't mean that I can't set boundaries, by the way. Right. I'm not talking about permissiveness. In fact, a little bit earlier I said there are two kinds of errors we make as parents, and one is to over-control, and the other is to over-indulge. Mm. We can be overindulgent and overprotective of our kids or rescue our kids or try to make them happy all the time or make sure that they feel good all the time. And that's a mistake as well. As in? Because that's not trusting them. That's not believing that what they have deep inside is capable. And mm-hmm. So what he's trying to say is Beverly Goldberg. You're you welcome. had to bring Beverly up. I mean, if you he watch, probably doesn't even know who Beverly well, that's okay. Goldberg is. But I'm a sorry, lot of our I listeners don't. do, right? Okay. Okay. No, it's not a real person. No, I, a character uh, I, I oh, reference okay. Beverly Goldberg a lot because yeah. it's a show called The Goldbergs and it's set like in the early nineties. And this this mother Beverly is like the ultimate classic mother of like just will go rush to her kid's school and say how could you not have cast my kid in the play he's the most delicious angel in the world (laughs) and and this is kind of Beverly moments right and (laughs) as we watch this show I find sometimes there's like certain little bits of media that will almost open dialogue and that kind of is a caricature um, sometimes of like mine and, and my son's relationship where of course it doesn't go that far but we, we joke and that's kind of our way to communicate about it to and say it's nice that you can joke with him about oh, it and, yeah. totally. and he'll say like if, if he feels like I'm getting over smothery he'll be like Beverly Okay, Beverly. <laughs> totally, and it's kind yeah. of our little, our little code, our little signal of nice. like, of like, what's happening. He's not so, the only one that calls you that. Sometimes, Beverly. Who, who else calls me Beverly? That'd be me. Oh yeah, I Becky do that. <laughs> Your son and Becky. That's it. <laughs> it's fine. That's it. It's, it's actually really endearing. Yeah. Um. So, mm-hmm. so kind of, you know, I'm thinking from the vantage point of, you know, on behalf of a friend, right? Just speaking uh-huh. hypothetically. Speaking for a friend means she's yeah. asking for herself. Not you. Not no, me. No, Definitely no, right. not you. Not you, not me. Um, but, you know, thinking about, I'm going to use the word cultivating instead of creating. Just because, you know, sure. it's a general We like to word. cultivate over here. That's a good word. We do like to cultivate around here. But it, we want to cultivate nice. an environment and cultivate a culture, right. really right. full sp- circle to what you started talking about, um, for our kids to understand and feel, like for real feel, not say the words, you can trust me, you can open up to me right but so is the best way to do that do you think if somebody's really like okay this has got to be like I really want to turn that around and build that trusting relationship with my child um it's the first step to really start turning a corner and instead of jumping in with the solutions and the yes. fixing yes. to really just start backing off a little bit yes. with all of that that moralizing and that all that and just really be the better listener because backing off means I'm starting to trust you mm. okay and I don't have to step in and fix everything we're, we're way too reactive as parents in fact there is a um, duct tape parenting you know buy a roll of duct tape duct tape your mouth closed there you go in the morning as the kids are getting ready for school and we have a tendency to want to step in and remind them you know, do you have your lunch? Do you have your backpack? Do you have your, you <laughs> so know, did you remember? Becky, Becky is sinking into You're kind of sweating now. Well, we just started a new system where I made them each a paper. And it, okay, it says the things they have to do. And whether or not they get a lunch depends on whether or not they make it. And they have they have it. And it's out in yeah. the morning. And if they choose to check it off, they can. And, and this That's is the new system we're doing. That's good. And it is so hard. Because you're yeah. not verbalizing and reminding them. Because it, I can't, right? Because yep. it's about it, the, because I it agree starts with the morning off yeah. in contention and with four children yeah. in different schools in different situations. Like right. there will be one who is not adhering to the plan every day, and then it it's bringing that conflict in. I've learned, so I have to tell you this. I hope this. I hope you don't judge me for this. But no, we're judging. Um, <laughs> I love to one judge. One of Becky. the best things ever that has happened in my parenting was when I had cancer and I was going through chemo and radiation. Mm. Mm. 
because I had to pull back. There was no mm-hmm. option mm-hmm. to not pull back. Mm-hmm. And my relationship with my kids improved so much. Yeah. I thought we had a great relationship, but when I truly had to pull back, like I wasn't checking homework, I wasn't making lunches, I wasn't yeah. folding laundry. Exactly. And they grew so much mm-hmm. in right. that time of like borderline neglect that like honestly they were able to stretch their legs and become much stronger and it, it fundamentally changed the structure wow. of our household wow. and we've kept a lot of those things in place because we realized wait a minute the kids can exactly. do this and more than exactly. that they can do it they like it and they, they feel it. good yes. about yeah. it they feel empowered they, they do feel responsible for mm-hmm. themselves yeah they do when we mm-hmm. as parents hover and want to direct and control everything that they're doing um, you know, it's disempowering to them. It makes them feel inadequate, less capable than they really are. Because I think the messaging you're telling when you're doing that is, I don't really believe you can do this for yourself. I don't right. really believe you right. can do this I well enough. You need me to step in yeah. and remind you and nag you. And and, and so mm-hmm. it's a lot better because kids learn, by the way, from the consequences of their action a lot more than they learn from the lecturing and the reminding right. that we do as parents. And when, when you say consequences, <laughs> I, I imagine you're talking about social consequences. Yeah. So, for instance. Yeah. A lot of them are very natural I mean, consequences. I'll give you, a, I'll give you like a really abstract example of like someone this could happen to someone perhaps <laughs> so if someone had a Not from for instance life. like for someone if someone had like a daughter for instance <laughs> who was having trouble putting on non gymnastics clothes for school okay you know, hypothetically just hypothetically speaking, speaking. Right. Yeah. um <laughs> and a parent let their child go to school in the ridiculous gymnastics clothes and then the children at school were giving them a lot of negative input about yeah. those gymnastics choices. That might be a more effective teaching method than a parent telling them not to put it on, hmm. hypothetically speaking. No, I really, that's actually a great illustration. Mm-hmm. It sure is. It's, yeah. almost, it's almost lifelike in real life. It's almost, almost as if <laughs> it comes this close, not yeah. quite. It's but. almost as if it happened to me. I don't know. <laughs> No, it's true. And it natural is con- very consequences true. are exactly how, how yeah. it needs to play out sometimes. Social that, consequences that's how our children are the learn. best yeah. teachers, right. are the best teachers, yeah. um, I think, for, for kids, those social consequences. And so why not, let, why not let our kids, for example, I love what you're doing. I mean, because it's okay to set expectations. It's okay to talk to our kids about, okay, what's the routine in the morning? Mm. What does it look like? Mm-hmm. Um, get their input and, yeah get their input mm-hmm. and you create the kind of paper that you're talking about this mm-hmm. is everything that has to happen and it might be different it's going to be different for a five-year-old as mm-hmm. compared with a 15-year-old yeah but we kind of get clear this is everything that needs to happen now I mom or dad have been playing too active a role in this I think that you're old enough and what do you think to be able to do this and so I'm kind of going to back out and let's see, let's see. And let's see how it, how goes. it goes. Let's see how and it goes. And then magically they are more empowered, yeah. more confident. I, I'm not going to no. say magically. No. I'm going to exactly. say you're going to have you're going to have some starving kids. It's magic. Yes. You're going to have starving kids. And, you may and have kids that don't get breakfast. You may right. have kids that don't take lunch to school. And then or you're probably going to get a call from closed. school. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're going to wear gymnastics clothes. And right. the hardest mm-hmm. part of that, mm-hmm. sad to admit, was not that my I knew she was going to be getting negative feedback at school about her ridiculous outfit choice. It was that I didn't want the teacher to judge me thinking that I was a crappy mom because my kid went to school in gymnastics totally. clothes. Totally. Yeah. Truly. That was like the no. biggest hang up for me is I was like, what are people going to think when my kid shows up right. in gymnastics outfits? And see, that is so important because as parents, we do see our kids as a reflection of us. And we judge our own worth on how our kids are doing. Sure and do. we have to let go of that. We absolutely. That's, when, that's been one of the most profound lessons that mm-hmm. Becky has shared is mm-hmm. that very that mm-hmm. very realization that her worth is not tied to her children's right. performance. I'm saying her because she has shared. We've yeah. all learned yeah. that lesson. That's a, that's a very or we're all trying to learn that lesson, lesson that I've it really is. been intentional with. Is, and it's a hard lesson. Mm-hmm. It is. It's but when you easy. can do that, yeah. the greatest thing, aside from the fact that you feel like much more successful of a human being, is that without knowing you put this pressure on your kids mm-hmm. when you're tying your self-worth aside from the negative effects to you i mean think about the negative effects to your child yeah that's just a really unfair burden yep. to ask them to bear that's right exactly that's very very heavy so yeah good for you 
I feel good now. I <laughs> so, felt bad for a few minutes, and now I'm feeling good again. Yeah. So, so I think I think that uh, you know, it, it, can we can we step back? Can we react less and just observe more, and mm-hmm. let our kids begin to take more responsibility? Now, that doesn't mean that in certain areas we don't need to establish boundaries or make sure that our expectations are clear. This is what happens, for example, in the morning. But then we step back, and we let them own it. And we watch and see how they do. And they're going to have some missteps and they're going to have some failures. And failure needs to be okay. Mm -hmm. And they're going to forget, you know, an assignment. They stayed up late working on an assignment and then doggone if they don't forget that Mm -hmm. assignment when they go to school the next day. Well, instead of just rushing to take it to them, to rescue them, how about if we let them learn from the consequences of their actions? You literally are giving this bullet point list of like, here's the advice, guys. Like step mm-hmm. one, step two. Like just do these things. And I, I, I can't, mm-hmm. I can't not pull back, pull back in something that you said earlier that I feel like is another nugget that I want people to really hang on to because I am. Mm-hmm. So I feel like everyone should be hanging on to it. <laughs> totally. Um, and it's something that Becky and I have profoundly learned in our own individual motherhood journeys this year because of something that someone else has shared that we are really internalizing, and that is that our very thoughts about our children really can have an actual real impact on their behavior Mm -hmm. and their actions just from the thoughts, Yes, even if we never say the thoughts Mm, out loud. Okay. Do you agree with that? I do. Yeah. I do. I think they sense it. They know it. They feel it. So we're not looking at it. No one's looking at their kids going, my kid's a loser, right? But that's not, that's not what loving. They may not be saying that. They may not be saying that, but they, they might be thinking, even, I don't know if they can do that. No, I'm not sure they're up for that. Do you know I one know that, that I hear, though? Enough for the, like, I don't hear the word loser, but I have heard a significant amount of parents say, I don't know why my kid is so lazy. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? But they don't have to say it to them, but them verbalizing it to another a friend or, or a spouse it. Mm-hmm. or thinking it can have an impact on they can like you said, Roger, they can sense right. that without you even having to say it. I right. just want I just want that to be a nugget that we're all really noodling on. Is is that that really tangible idea of our thoughts affecting them more sure. directly than we would ever give it credit for. Sure. Sure. Because it influences how we maybe even unconsciously interact with them. Totally. How we treat them um, in ways that do affect them, in ways that do have Mm -hmm. real consequences. Mm -hmm. It's more powerful than we realize. Yeah. Yeah. Again, I I think it's important to look at our our beliefs and our beliefs fundamentally. And that doesn't mean our kids are perfect. And that doesn't mean, you know, that we think of and that we don't see the – um, you know, strengths and weaknesses. We all as individuals have strengths and weaknesses. It doesn't mean that we are blind, but I think fundamentally we need to make positive assumptions and trust-based assumptions, not fear-based assumptions, because our kids will feel that. And when they struggle and we're making fear-based assumptions, then, you know, let's say you have a, uh, I don't know, a child who, an example that I sometimes, I, and I don't know how many of your, a, a child that doesn't want to go to church. Okay. Let's say this is a 15 or a 16-year-old, which is a pretty old, you know, mm-hmm. child that's getting old enough. I mean, by the, by the time children are 18 years of age, certainly in our American society, they are close to being on their own. They're going to be on their own very soon. They're going to be going off to college, for example. They're going to yeah. be holding a job. They're going to be moving out of the home. And by that time, we want them to have internalized a lot of self-responsibility and learned a lot of these lessons. We want them to have uh, matured. And so, you know, if, if I'm a controlling parent and I have a son that, let's say, doesn't want to get up and go to church, what am I likely to do? I'm likely to march downstairs yeah. to While the bedroom and say, "While you live under my say, roof, you are yeah, still gonna." Yeah, yeah. that's right. Mm-hmm. And and you know, and you better get up. And you know, if you don't, I'm dumping this bed, or I'm, I'll go in the bathroom and get a glass of cold water. And I force. I. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, if I'm a permissive parent, what do I do? If I'm a permissive parent, I have a tendency to, oh well, okay, your mom's going to feel really bad, and you know, kind of do a guilt. But mm-hmm. back off and just be permissive, let them do what they want. If I'm a nurturing parent, I, you know, 
uh, I'm likely to sit on that child's bed mm-hmm. and say, huh, I'm not, I'm not going to make their decision for you, but I'm, I'm curious. I'm interested. You know what's happening? What's going on in your life? And this seems like a change. And encourage that child again to open up and to talk to me. But ultimately respect that this is their agency and I'm not going to force. Now it's different if it's a five year old child again. Right. You know, but yeah. but but I'm, you know, going to trust and uh make positive assumptions that this is a son or a daughter that's capable of managing their life and making good decisions. And they may have to go through some hard times or make some different choices than I would make. And I'm going to allow that. And if you're a nurturing parent, would you also say, obviously, we'd love for you to go with us to church in this particular story. We'd love for you to go with us to church, but but also... Uh, I, I'm just trying to think of like, like what the dialogue would be yeah. if, if you go no. through that and they're saying, no, I'm just, I'm not feeling it. I'm questioning or, or whatever right. the case is. Right. Like, so when, say, when that oh, child okay, then, well, that's fine. Yeah. Right. When that yeah. child then says, no, I really, I really am not going to be going to church today. Then what would, what would your response? Yeah. My response would be, you know, how much time do we have to talk about this right now? Mm-hmm. But I, I, I would want to know how much that child would want to open up and talk to me. Mm-hmm. You know, there obviously there's a thought process going on in your mind, and I'm curious about that. Yeah. I'd love to know what that is. Mm-hmm. And you may feel like it's okay to share it with me, and you may feel like it isn't, and I'll respect that. But I want you to know that I want to be here for you, and if you do want to talk about it, I'd love to, I'd love to be part of that conversation. And I'm going up, and I'm going to be in the car in about 10 yeah. minutes. And if you choose to come, then you'll be with us. And if not, then, you know, that's your choice. That's your decision. I literally feel like you're my best dad ever. I know. <laughs> I have yeah. a great dad. But really hearing you say that is very comforting to me. I'm trying to put yeah. myself in the child's point of view. Right. And I feel like you're a safe place when you say that. I feel like you're right. you're genuine. I do have an option. I still can go to church with the family or I can right. stay here in my bedroom. Right. But I feel, I feel my agency is a very real thing. I feel right. empowered to make that choice. I feel like I, you know, might miss out on something good. But also, mm-hmm. even if I, if I want to be defiant in that moment... You mm-hmm. have illustrated that that is a, an open door, and I feel like you're a safe place to have that dialogue. And if I shut you down right now because I just am in a mood, right. I know that maybe after church or next week or next month that I can open up to you. Mm. Right. And right. that's what you're cultivating there is that yeah, trust. trust building precedes problem solving. Trust, trust building precedes building. problem solving. Well, it's yeah. interesting because especially yeah. when you talk about it in regards to church, when we're having a reaction that's like, you know, confrontational about something that is supposed to be providing families with more love and more trust and in these things, it becomes this very conflicting, this very conflicting message, I think. Exactly. I'm not living the values that I espouse. Right. Mm. In other words, you know, I espouse a belief in, you know, um, love and compassion and forgiveness and acceptance, but and so I need to live that. I need to model that in right. the way that I interact with my kids. And then that ultimately will probably be a much more effective teaching tool in in helping your Absolutely. children to desire the same. Going mm-hmm. back to the values you be- were talking about before, because now I know my 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 child is not making a decision simply in re- reaction to me, which is what a lot of kids do. In other words, it's uh, fighting against. Mm-hmm. mom and dad resistance it's resistance mm-hmm. it's rebellion it's i'm yeah. tired of somebody telling me what to do and trying to manage my life you know when you come from that place that i'm talking about you don't that's 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 not the issue mm-hmm. uh, and so the child is left to really think through themselves what do i value what do i think and act from that instead of mm-hmm. just as a reaction to parents. Can I just ask really quick as we wrap up here, um, can you go over again those three... Um, the circles? The three ways to be creating that safe environment. So empathy. Yeah, there are a number of skills related to empathy, respect, mm-hmm. affirmations, listening, mm-hmm. support. And support is we, we have such a tendency as parents to want to step in and you know fix and tell and direct and so on and support is just asking what can i do 
Yeah. How can I support you? Yeah. What do you need from me right now? So those are all empathy skills that I'm talking about. There are also honesty skills. And honesty skills, are it's, it's disclosing what I think, what I feel. As I'm sitting with that son, let's say, on a bed on a Sunday morning, I might say, hey, can I tell you what's important to me and why it's important to me? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Can I share? Can I disclose? Can I be open about my values and mm-hmm. what I think and what I feel? Um, there are feedback skills that are honesty skills, uh, disc- uh, you know, giving some carefrontation, I call it. This is what I see you doing if I see a child doing something harmful, and here are the consequences that I see. This is the concern that I have about it. Mm. There's a reproving skill. It's a little sharper skill when I see somebody doing, particularly a young child, doing something wrong. There are times when I need to call them on it. Mm. Or there's, I call it a harnessing skill, and by harnessing I'm talking about Um, really bringing a child face-to-face with the consequences, long-term consequences of some decisions they're making or choices or behavior that are not in their best interest. And then, so so those are honesty skills. And then finally, responsibility skills. And by responsibility skills, I mean we want our children to begin to exercise that agency, to take responsibility for themselves to grow from within instead of waiting to be directed from without. And so valuing questions, asking questions. You know, for example, that ex- uh, from earlier today when we were or earlier tonight or whenever this whatever is. Whatever time. This <laughs> yeah. Whatever time this is. Uh, when I, we were talking about the example of the girl that did not want to play uh, soccer anymore, at some point her mother might shift from listening into asking questions. And the purpose for asking those questions is to help her begin to think through herself, take responsibility herself. You know, what will happen? or What are the choices that you have here? What might you want to do? But by asking questions instead of telling, we're developing that responsibility from within. Setting limits is, you know, is a responsibility skill. Here Mm -hmm. are the boundaries. This is what is acceptable, what isn't acceptable. Here are the consequences if violated. And so so anyway, yeah. So basically empathy skills to build that culture, honesty skills, and responsibility skills. And I'd like to remind um, you know, our listeners, too, that everything that Roger's really sharing with us and what we're discussing this all ties into cultivating a good life, particularly as a parent, really as a human being, but as a parent, please don't feel like this is an all, like it's going to happen overnight. I love that you're listing like all of these different skills. You are a work in progress. You are on a continuum. You are progressing and you are You've cultivating. You've been talking to my wife? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But we're all on that journey, right? Mm-hmm. Where we're all trying to be better all the time. And we all want to just like be so much better. Like just hearing you People are going to be feeling inspired. They want to be better at all these things all at once. Right. It's not normal. No, it's right. not natural. It's, and it's also impossible. It's a journey. It's a journey. And so perhaps maybe the best way to think about this is to pick the one or two things that Roger has shared that's been discussed mm-hmm. and just yeah. start focusing on that one thing. For example, this week as a mother, I am going to stop interjecting Right, my opinion, my fix, my advice, my your counsel, teaching my moment. Teaching, just right? say it. Teaching <laughs> moments, right? We're both Becky and I are yep. both really good with teaching moments, or really bad. Yeah, right. <laughs> Depends on how Depends you on who that. you ask. <laughs> but just take the one or two right. things and really focus on that. Yeah. You know, instead of feeling yeah. overwhelmed, because I do, I do know that. Yeah. As, especially as women, we we tend to feel like we want to just be do so much all. better yeah. all at once and. And That's it is. It's, the way it's a process. Work. And and the great thing about having that little twinge, I had a few this episode mm-hmm. um, where, you know, there needs to be a little bit of a shift or maybe a little bit of focus. The great thing is, is when you spend time just kind of refocusing um, and take yourself out of that reactionary, you can be more intentional with, with the relationship you're cultivating with your kids and the spirit that is in your home. And these are all wonderful things Absolutely. that we're all going to be working on forever. Roger, where can people um, connect with you and um, see more about your work? Or I have a webpage, rogerkallen.com, R-O-G-E-R-K-A-L-L-E-N.com. And I do have a book on parenting, 
on that page and an online program. It's uh, called Parenting Skills to Raise Responsible, Emotionally Mature Children. Oh, that's that's so that, you, good. Just, you just <laughs> summed up in a nutshell what I want my grown children to be. Mm-hmm. Basically. That's and pretty much what's the, the name end of goal. your book. So the book is called Raising Responsible, Emotionally Mature Children. And then okay. I, have a, I have a parenting program on Udemy okay. called Parenting Skills to Raise Responsible, Mature Children. Oh, so, but they can find be that. Signing up. A- I know. Access At my earliest on, my web page. Wonderful. Yeah. RogerKAllen.com. Thank you right. so much. Well, for thank that. you for the work oh, you, you do. You've definitely made an impact on my parenting and mine. I'm pretty sure I'll be checking out that course, Becky, as well. And we are so thankful you took the time to come and oh, be here. Oh, well, with it was us a pleasure. Tonight. Very fun to be with you. Thank you. Friends, thank you for carving out the time to listen and for joining us in this continued conversation about cultivating a good life. Nothing we have said is more important than the specific things that you have felt that are personal for you. We invite you, as always, to write down those promptings that you feel, and most importantly, act on them. We love you, we're cheering you on, and we look forward to being with you next week. Bye-bye. Bye, guys. This is Cultivate a Good Life, episode 67, life-changing parenting. (laughs) (laughs) My voice is very tired from screaming at synchronized swimming. Are you serious? I'm challenging you. Dance, monkey, dance. (laughs) You'll hear me sing. I'm not singing right now. I always want you to sing on demand. Well, first there has to be like a lead in. So let's continue to talk and we'll see what happens. Okay. You you can join me. If I sing, (gasps) you can join me. Wait, do you sing for real? I... Yes. That's a yes. They asked me to be part of a cowboy band oh. when we moved to Cedar, and I don't know why. <laughs> somebody heard me sing and thought that maybe I had a decent voice, but it was a challenge. 